0: And now it's time for the Wild Side News with your host, Sydney Wildsmith. It's always amazing how it begins. Fear. It was last Sunday evening. TV was on 60 Minutes or some such. And during a local news break, our perfect news person reported that a wildfire that had been spotted about 12.30 around noon east of Ramona had grown a bit and was causing a massive cloud of smoke that could be seen all the way from Tijuana and out over the ocean way up in Del Mar, north of the city. Nothing terribly earth-shaking about that. Ramona is in rural San Diego County, 30 to 40 miles east of me. I moved to San Diego from Santa Fe quite in part because of Ramona, I like the feeling of the West, and Ramona is some of the best West in the West. It's a crossroads of two highways that snake their way up and through the old wagon trails turned to two-lane highways that make their way up and through the interconnecting canyons. Ramona is the entry point to the rolling hills and canyons that open up between Ramona and the next landmark, Julian, 20 miles plus farther on and a place known for its apples and pies and snows in June. Julian is on the mountain's peak at 5,000 feet, Ramona lies at a mere 1,300 feet, and I sit on my hillside with the ocean at about 200 feet. If you drive to Julian up amongst the pines and cedar forests, that 60 mile drive back down to the coast is one I've often bragged as one of the most interesting and beautiful drives in America. It doesn't have the spectacular cliffs and vistas of, say, Colorado or Utah. What it does have is a gentle descent from pines through chaparral and on past the rolling hills with mature oak and groupings with the most fascinating assemblage of pink rocks that you'll ever find anywhere. Everywhere you look, you see the sensuous hills that make up San Diego County. It is one of the most amazing places on earth. On the way to the sea, you sense, the lower you get, the faster pace, the more densely people are packed. Julian often has rain and even snow, while surfers in San Diego paddle their surfboards out to catch a wave. On an overcast day in Julian, it could easily feel like a small town in the hills of Oregon or Colorado. The historic houses are of wood and paint, There are some great local restaurants where the locals aren't aware that mud clings to the edges of the soles of their shoes, not like here in San Diego. The descent from Julian to Ramona is tense with turns. The turns are old highway turns, banked wrong. Motorcyclists don't cruise down that road. They have to work their way down. But in a while the landscape opens, the twisting roads turn to curves, Ramona is a great place to stop for a bite to eat on your way back to the coast, because from this point west it heads again through the canyon bottoms and follows the two-lane roads that wend their way along the edges of what often feels just like high mountain passes. Then the rural turns agricultural and the canyons become valley bottoms filled with orchards, chicken farms, horses, avocado farms, and palm trees appear amongst the oak and eucalyptus, and the sun seems warmer, and the cars drive faster. Within that final twenty miles before you hit the coast, you now head into the glory lands of Escondido, Poway, Rancho Santa Fe, Rancho Bernardo, Here the homes loom large with Spanish roofs and windows. It begins to feel exotic, even a bit paradisical, as trees and flowers, palms and green grass now embellish the wealth and well-being of the paradisians who know how good it all is. No one who lives here takes San Diego for granted. The drive from Ramona to the coast, the final 15 miles passes through some of the most elegantly expensive housing in America. Thank God for the hills. If they weren't here, this would be like Phoenix, but without the heat. It's dense with people filling the lower lands, but everywhere are the hills, and with few exceptions, just like everywhere else, the farther up the hills you go, the fewer homes there are. San Diego abounds in trees and flowers and green shrubs and bushes all year round. Seasons change and it's mostly discernible by the color of the hillsides. There is very little rain, often less than eight inches a year, and months, many months can go by without any rain at all. Rain comes in the winter months mostly and spring dazzles with the spirit of green. Summer along the coast is temperate with temperatures in the 70s, so by fall the grasses have dried and turned golden, but they aren't parched. But back up in Ramona, it's always hotter. The 80s and 90s prevail throughout the summer and into the fall. So when fires break out in Ramona in October, there's plenty of grass, shrubs, and chaparral ready to burn. Southern California has lovely names. Encinitas, Cardiff by the sea, La Jolla. Even the winds have names, like the El Ninos of spring and the Santa Anas of fall. As a relative newcomer to these parts, I noticed a strange attitude towards the announcement that we were in store for these Santa Anas. People don't seem to welcome such romantic-sounding winds. They are warm winds, the flow opposite to the regular local breezes we have here, which generally come in off the ocean and keep things cool. The Santa Anas run reverse to this pattern and come from the east, blowing hot air from the inland areas with winds with enough force to push the offshore flow back out to sea. The Santa Anas can last for days, and we who live in paradise seem to suffer such winds and warmth. TV, Sunday evening, a week ago. When the newscaster announced that we'd be getting a live report from one of their stringers in the hills of Ramona, the camera cut. It was a woman with goggles on, blonde hair tucked carelessly behind the elastic strap. Behind her was a classic image of wildfires in the hills, the licking orange flames driven by the winds. But the hurried nature of her hair tucked into the strap focused the attention to the orange embers that were flying past her face like hell-driven winds of fire. The air itself was lit with flying orange ashes from the fire, pushed horizontal by the ferocious winds in Ramona. At that moment, my head rose from its multitasking couch position to a fixed stare at the TV screen. Ramona was in trouble and suddenly the winds I'd heard rattling things and trees outside my door within sight of the great Pacific Ocean became sirens of alarm. We don't get winds like this in San Diego. I'd never have seen winds like this. The ancients organized the cosmos into four primary elements earth, air, fire, and water. Without really knowing why, I felt a primal sense of urgency take hold. The earth was on fire, driven by dry winds from the east. I mentioned to Claire, my amore, that those were some pretty fierce winds east of us, and that the fire was really weird, or some casual remark. She was deep into a triple-tasking moment, so acknowledged my observations with, "Uh Uh-huh. I would have liked more, but I understood I got up and picked up one of the grand atlases, the National Geographic atlas of the world, from its place next to the bookcase on the floor. It was too large for even our art bookshelves. I paged through the world, zeroing into our Southern California region, in a stone-aged version of Google Earth. But I like large books and atlases. Just as I had thought, Ramona was directly east of where we were, and the winds were raging directly towards the west. I needed a more precise look, more detail, because something told me that winds and fires like that could move really quickly, so I went to the large road map for northern San Diego County. I spread it open on the kitchen's raised counter, turned on the bright overhead lights, and unfolded the map and spread it out. There's a reflex, perhaps somewhat universal, as the palm of the hand flattens the map out. I love the sound of maps. Now it was clear. Ramona was indeed directly east of me, and I knew that country well, and I knew that flames could come flying across the dry hills with a vengeance. I heard the local newscaster say that the winds were reaching speeds of up to 70 miles an hour. 70 miles an hour? That's rough. The winds themselves could take off roofs and blow down signs and power lines. But winds like that could take a two-bit fire and give it wings to fly across the land, turning everything in its path ablaze. And that's exactly what it did. And it didn't waste any time. Within about a half hour of the first news report from Imona, there were increasingly frequent breaking news alerts. Skipping around the local stations... We found remote broadcasts coming from the Ramona area on all the stations, and they all had a similar look. The usually spiffy newscasters were standing on site with winds and embers shooting from left to right across the screen. They were moving and their heads darted in reflex to the crashing stuff around them. Soon they were donning masks and complaining about the ash that was choking the air. Their studio comrades advised them to leave. Within the first 45 minutes, the reports witnessed myriads of pickup trucks scampering behind them, and then the first sign of serious fires in the East County, San Diego, horse trailers. The first to respond are the horse owners. They've lived through this scenario before. They know that if fire comes, you cannot save your home, but you have to save the horses. There is a nobility of friendship between human and horse. Horses show fear. Their eyes enlarge and push from their heads. They fight any constraint because they are made to run. And run they would if the fences weren't there. And so people who know them come to help them. Horses were being rounded up and put into trailers all throughout the eastern county around Ramona. And many knew that they had more horses than trailers. And that becomes a matter of camaraderie amongst the horse-owning classes. People with empty trailers headed into the fires. Within one hour, regular Sunday night TV was replaced with local TV providing live reports. And the reports only became more fear-filled. San Diego has done this before. It was just four years ago that the county's most devastating fire swept across the massive county, destroying 376,000 acres, turning 2,458 homes to ash, and killing 16 people. That fire swept across the open spaces of East County, Ramona, and the like, from north to south, in just a few days. But people rebuilt. After all, where do you go after San Diego? It's a truly difficult question that will persist until hell melts. Just a week or so before Halloween, this fire ironically became known as the Witch Creek Fire. Fall is off in the season of fires in these parts, and we'd been hearing about the raging fires tearing up Malibu in Los Angeles. I'd paid it little mind, as it seemed as though it was just the next in the series of Malibu fires. I've always visualized Joni Mitchell and other aging rock stars hopping into their Mercedes or Rolls Royces with their designer dogs in tow. The national media was certainly focusing on their fires, but to those of us in San Diego, we knew this was going to be worse, if such a thing were possible. By evening, the stories were shifting to the massive evacuations of people, families and horses away from the Witch Creek blaze. To make matters even worse, a fire in the southern part of the county was also being fanned into a potential killer and more and more people were being advised to flee from that part of the county as well. Having lived through some of the nightmare stories from four years previous, people didn't waste any time. But that by itself became a huge problem, as the roads out of Ramona, actually the road out of Ramona, had become jammed. Traffic was not moving. As I'd mentioned, Ramona is a crossroads, literally. There was Highway 78 that drops into the center of town from the north, and then 67 leads off to the town of Poway to the south and east. The fire had already spread into the northern route, shutting off that escape. 67 to Poway was the only recourse to safety, and even that was questionable, because the winds were certainly going to push the fire directly that way but the news reported that people should flee and go to the evacuation center in Poway, about 12 miles away. As the evening turned into night, the traffic was barely moving, and reporters began to speculate about how fast the fires might reach them. It's about this time that the mind begins to conjure up images, fearful images of people trapped in their vehicles as fires moved in. I imagined what I would do Would I break ranks and just screech on out of there? Probably. I'm not one who feels compelled to stay in lines just because people say I have to. Outside, the air was filled with smoke. Ash was already falling on our home fully 30 miles away, carried now by the ever-increasing winds. I stepped outside and felt a steady raging wind on my face and pushing my body. It didn't pulse and buffet like other storm winds. It just blew heavy and steady. We were now wide-eyed and paying close attention. Already, reports of homes being lost were coming in, and we'd learned from the Paradise Fire that a report of a home on fire and images of homes on fire meant that in reality, many homes were on fire. By now, people weren't keeping count People were in survival mode, and so were those whose job it was to fight these fires. All live reports were accompanied now by images of the flashing lights of fire trucks and emergency vehicles. The reporters in the field were all wearing goggles and had to pull off their masks to talk into the mics, whereas originally I thought they wore the masks to look responsible. It became obvious that they were now wearing them up until the very last second before they had to talk into the microphones. Reports came in saying the fire was spreading westward at an alarming rate. There is a disparity in TV news compared to radio, because without the images, TV feels plodding. But radio quickly becomes the best source of what is happening where the TV crews cannot reach, and the radio was taking calls from around the county with frightened people describing seeing giant, lashing flames coming over the next ridge. The longer one listens, the more raw fear begins to attach itself to the nerves. Here is what I was thinking. The mass of spreading fires 30 miles to the east of me were being driven by 70-mile-an-hour winds. That means that fires could quickly spread from one ridge to the next with no hope of being fended off by fire crews. This was a self-absorbed fire, and would let nothing stand in its way. That meant, in reality, that if those winds continued, there would be nothing that could possibly keep it from reaching the ocean. It was, in reality, just a matter of time. Therefore, Claire and I had to have that talk, the one that says, we need to think really seriously about what we're going to do. Claire is a left brain and I'm an emotional, right-brained romantic. We work well together. My emotions energized her organization, and we quickly began gathering things we need. Claire knew exactly where the important papers were, the banking records, the birth certificates, the passports, the credit cards, the pictures, and her purse. I thought of survival, the what if we had to camp out on our burned-out land as the rebuilding process began. All those LED flashlights, crank radios, sleeping bags and pads, and camping gear were dragged together by the side door. We would each take our own car, so we loaded up our choiced items there first. I also took a practical romantics look at my sound studio and chose two pieces I had to rescue. Clothes were secondary. I shop at thrift stores and yard sales. Our bird Smokey, who came to us as an evacuee of the Paradise Fire, was transferred to her smaller traveling cage. She was not really happy about that. I grabbed a few folders of papers and walked from my studio to the back door, passing my large landscape paintings hanging on the wall. When you listen to the TV and radio people at such times, they have a mantra that says, Don't waste time trying to save things. It can all be replaced. Well, original paintings cannot be simply replaced. One of the paintings was five by seven feet, and took me five years to complete. In my painting studio, I had over fifty other paintings, and the house had at least five or six more of my originals. As I had to contemplate the fires raging over the hill, between our house and the fires, I had to conceive that these paintings would be destroyed. Something about that felt cosmically unjust. Our home is also strewn with antiquities, things from ancient Persia, books from the Middle Ages, furniture from old Europe. These, too, were destined to be turned to ash. I wondered if the hundreds of books in our library would be tightly enough packed onto the shelves to keep them from burning, and I imagined putting plastic over them to protect them from water damage. And then those thoughts melted. As midnight approached, all of San Diego was on high alert. The fires were spreading rapidly, as fires do, and new fights were breaking out all over. Claire and I agreed that we would have to listen to the radio and TV on a very regular basis, so I stayed up listening, as much out of a sheer curiosity about this natural disaster and how it lives and develops, as for my own sense of safety. As the night moved on and Claire was sleeping, I listened and the soul moves into a state of breathlessness. By about 2.30, I had to get to sleep, so we set the TV to go off every two hours. Lying in bed, we heard the winds and blowing as never before, and those winds were coming directly from the fires now moving towards us from the east. Throughout the night, residents were being told to evacuate from a wide spectrum of communities and we heard during the deepness of the night that the fire was headed for the wild animal park. Well, of course it would. It's a full 12 miles from Ramona to the wild animal park, and it's not all that much farther to where we lived. Monday dawned in darkness from a fire ravaged air. Ash was part of the air. You could eat it if you opened your mouth for too long. The winds were fierce. Neighbors were calling one another. Friends were calling to see what we were planning to do. The morning news reports were clear that the fire was getting worse. We awoke to hear that the fires had advanced fully 15 miles closer over the night. It had easily jumped across one of those significant battle lines, Interstate 15 that runs north and south along the eastern edge of the metropolitan area. East of the 15 is Rural. Once you move across the 15, you are now stepping into the outlying city. In 2003, the fires had followed a similar course, and the images of rows of expensive houses being threatened with walls of flames had burned deep into our psyches. Once the fires move across the interstate highway, they are moving into a new level. And they did. The realization that it was bigger than us that despite all of our modern wizardry, nature could run over us with such ease put everyone on high alert. Now whole communities were being advised to evacuate. By mid-morning the area of mandatory evacuation extended to within a few hundred feet of the ocean. I was never able to understand why it did not extend to the water's edge. There was no sense any longer that we would certainly be spared. All parts of the city were up for the taking by the hungry flames. Claire and I were now somber. It seemed as though the neurons to the corners of our mouths had gone numb. A huge portion of what we call North County San Diego was ordered to evacuate. The normal course of the fire was headed directly through some of the most valuable real estate in America. Nothing is cheap in San Diego. Rancho Bernardo, where the fires had already run wild, is filled with million dollar homes. As yet, our area in Lucadia, less than a mile from the beach, had not been ordered to evacuate. Residents were advised to be prepared to evacuate in a moment's notice. So it was almost about the same as being ordered to evacuate. Our cars were packed, the bird was still in her small cage. I headed out into the gray acrid air and surveyed the house to find its weak spots. Although we had a tile roof, many homes are lost when the wind-driven ashes catch under the roof in the wooden eaves. I found two branches that actually touched the wooden eaves. I took a chainsaw and hacked them off. I took every available hose and stretched it out, putting the most focused nozzles on the hoses that might have to be used to reach the high eaves at the second story. I told Claire that I would consider taking a stand for the house. I was willing to do what I could to put out fires as long as I could. This flew in the face of all good advice, but I was compelled because of my artwork and many other reasons to do what I could. I was fully prepared to have to face that moment. To my amazement, Claire did not disagree. Now it was even more real. The most frightening aspect of this were the Santa Annas. I now understood why there was a sullen sense of joy at the news that the Santa Annas were on their way. They sounded so balmy. The radio was a powerful ally. We got up-to-the-moment reports from listeners phoning in from around the county, and nothing was good. The Del Mar Fairgrounds were designated as a place for horse owners to bring their horses, the fairgrounds is the home of the legendary Del Mar Raceway, and they have setups for keeping horses there. As well, Qualcomm Stadium, where the Chargers football team plays, became the single largest evacuation site for the thousands of people who were forced to leave their homes. The lucky folks who weren't in harm's way were encouraged to begin bringing food, cots, medicine, and new pillows to Qualcomm. The winds not only did not lessen where we were, as the fires approached the winds began picking up, and the fear resonated in sync with the approaching disaster. These Santa Ana winds were expected to continue through Wednesday, some said, till the end of the week. The entire area just south of us had been ordered to evacuate. Encinitas, Arburg, was still not on the mandatory evacuation list, and as we listened, we heard an announcer say, Residents in some areas of Leucadia have been ordered to evacuate. Lucadia. That's exactly where we live. It's actually just a small little part of Encinitas and closer to the coast than anything that had been mentioned before. Now it was my time to act. I hopped into my car and drove to Skyloft Drive, which runs along the ridgetop just above our home. It faces to the east, we lay to the west of the ridge. I now had to look for smoke, fires, whatever it was that was directly threatening us. I saw a car ahead of me on Skyloft appearing to be looking for the same thing. It stopped and three guys got out and headed up a small walkway that I'd never noticed before. It led to an overlook in a small park facing east. I got out of the car and fought against the warm, blasting winds sheltering my eyes from the driven ash. The three guys were there before me, looking east. We'd all heard of the order to evacuate. But as we looked east, there was no apparent fire. We could see eastward through the smoke for about two miles, over two ridges with deep canyons running between them, and then off to the distant hills. There was no fire with a bead on our home but I also knew that one could pop up at any moment and could reach us within five minutes with these hurricane winds. I drove back home, and Claire and I were then hanging on every word, and we took turns heading up to the overlook. There was a strange sense that came over me, as if I were adrift in a small raft in the unknown domain of a fog-shrouded ocean, adrift. And that's how we spent the rest of the day hour after hour, listening as we heard that fires to the south were enlarging and spreading, fires to the north were developing, new fires threatened the community of Fallbrook, which lay just north of us and east of the Camp Pendleton Marine Base, where there were legends of heavy artillery stored. Camp Pendleton ran up against the sea. We'd put our two air purifiers on full blast, and it kept the house from becoming rancid with the smell of smoke. But as soon as you walked outside, you were in the zone. Somewhere during the afternoon, stories began to surface that fire officials were predicting that this fire would certainly make its way to the coast, that there was nothing that could stop it, save a change in the winds. But the winds continued with a heady determination, and a moment came when I looked at Claire and said, I'm sorry, sweetie. But we held firm in our home. It turned out that the order for areas of located to evacuate were wrong. That made sense. Following the fires of 2003 the city had initiated a reverse 911 system which placed phone calls to all homes and areas that required evacuation. Those receiving a 911 call were advised that if you received the call you were already late in trying to get out. We expected a call but one never came. And that by itself was unnerving. What if they don't have our phone number in the system? What ifs began to surface? We sat, paced, and waited. We didn't leave the house. We needed to be prepared to evacuate. The TV news was now filled with horrific images of burning homes and buildings and live reports from people who ran from the flames. People were dazed, but amazingly, even those who knew their homes had been destroyed appeared stoic. There is at times like this an unwillingness to admit that you've been outdone. The entire day was dark, so evening came on early, as the skies could not let sunlight through. Personally, I was haunted by the thought that I might come out of all of this with a little food, sleeping bags, and my mainframe and my Guild 12-string guitar. I had three other guitars. I had hundreds of my personal works of art. I had original recordings and writings that predated computers that would all be lost. Once again, Claire and I awoke every two hours, turned on the TV and the radio. Monday night brought an ongoing stream of bad news. The fires were continuing their move to the ocean, but had slowed down just a bit. By Tuesday morning, they were heading into the Fairbanks ranch area. I could ride my bike there if I had to. And then reports that Rancho Santa Fe, the elite grounds of the rich and famous, was falling. Once into Rancho Santa Fe, it was onwards to Encinitas and Lucadia. Residents of Rancho Santa Fe had been ordered to evacuate. The fires had made their way the thirty miles to the communities along the ocean. Now it was getting very real. And I decided that there was a reasonable answer to all of this for us. We were still waiting. The fires were not at our door. We had not been ordered to evacuate yet. This was my chance. I told Claire that we should rent a truck, drive it to the back door, and put our most significant stuff into the truck and then be ready to drive the one and a half minutes to Interstate 5 and escape with a small but important part of our lives intact. We had a truck in one hour and began putting our life into the back of the 16-foot yellow Penske. Within a few hours I had all of my best paintings, computers, recordings and studio gear, the show must go on, keyboards and guitars, and a wider spectrum of the stuff of my life secure in the truck. Claire as well had her life's collection of photographs and notes and enough furniture for restarting, if that should be our fate. The fires kept coming closer, now taking down homes within miles of our house. But the winds had subsided quite a bit, and the fires weren't able to be in a full charge to the sea. And the firefighters... Exhausted by days of fighting, also knew the nature of this fire, and were more adept at corralling it into the corners, pinching it off, cutting off its fodder. It was as if a truce was being worked out amongst all the players. By Wednesday evening, as we sat with the yellow Pinski ready to roll, for the first time we took pity on the poor bird and let her stretch her wings in her normal cage. And then we just sat in front of the TV and heard the stories of survival, the harrowing work of the firefighters, the generous outpouring of support for the thousands who were encamped at various evacuation centers around the county. We monitored the events throughout the night, and stories of fires kept popping up in the outliers as fires take their last stands. By Wednesday afternoon there was an eerie calm. For a moment, The sun pushed open the clouds. Media began rescinding the evacuation orders. We offloaded the truck and went to our favorite Mexican restaurant for dinner. Thursday morning we returned to Penske and began hooking up our life again. When all was said and done, the latest estimates are that 360,000 acres have burned. 1,589 homes are destroyed. And at this time, only seven people were reported to have died from the Witch Creek and related fires of this past week. Today, those of us far enough away from the fires have lives of wonder once again. The skies are almost back to normal, the weather is again paradisical, and the local TV networks are back to providing us with the usual regular mix. A few days ago, I drove over to Del Dios Highway within a few miles of our home, an area that kept coming up while the fires were raging. And I quite frankly was amazed at what I saw. Del Dios is one of my favorite drives. I take it to drive to Ramona and to Julian. It is home to one of my favorite fruit and vegetable stands where I buy a chocolate-covered strawberry for Claire every chance I get. It's also the home to our water reservoir, Lake Hodges, and as I'd listened to reports of the fires, the mention of Del Dios Highway rang pretty close to home. We heard hundreds of reports from along the Del Dios Highway. It has been reduced to gray ash for miles. The grand domed hills within which the reservoir is embodied are charred flat and dark. The vegetable stand as a tangle of wrought iron, within which are the baked carcasses of thirty or so pumpkins that were to light the walkways of homes throughout the region this Halloween. Amazingly, most of the homes are standing, and one can see the tale of valor of the courageous firefighters who defended the homes to the front doors with a fair amount of success. But there are, within the Daldeos, and for many miles in all directions, the vanquished lives of good people, who, as I write this from the comfort of my home in Lucadia, are scrambling with their few belongings through a world gone up in smoke and ash. Everyone wants lessons. I'm not ready for that. Except to say that we in nature are in a struggle for dominion. We have not lived wisely on the earth of late. The forests have gone dry. The skies are heating up. The reservoirs are low and we keep moving in with all of our grand things to set up our permanent encampments we call home. There is a truth to this earth, and that truth is we'd better align ourselves with it, embrace it, and become it, because as we do, we will learn to find balance in limits. Two legendary fires in four years. Is this San Diego's legacy, or will it become the paradox of our paradise this is Sidney wildsmith saying adios until we meet again here on the wildside news